GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to today's Gibraltar Today podcast. On the show, we caught up with Nathan Conroy, one of the writers and performers of the Ghosts of Inces Hall, a new Janito comedy which begins this week at Inces Hall. Also, Benji Bonastero gave us a little insight into the first Parasports AGM, which was held last night. Dwayne Trinidad from the Fire and Rescue Service gave us some advice ahead of Bonfire Night in a couple of weeks' time. And the show kicked off with our reporter, John. Jonathan Sacramento, ahead of the Long Shadows, a three-part documentary series about the horrors of the Holocaust, which begins tonight, Tuesday evening, on GBC. You can expect to hear a lot of voices, and voices of young people. Uh, and these young people are all Gibraltarians. This is their programme. This is their experience. And you're going to be hearing about the Holocaust from their eyes. Now, of course, there's a lot of context. There's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, documentary style research being done as part of the program. And yes, as you rightly say, it's a program a long time in the making. In fact, it's been uh, it's been it's been planned since January last year. Uh, and uh, yes, I, I did go to uh, New York for for UN uh, last June, and whilst I was there, I took. I made the most of my trip to to visit the Jewish Heritage mm. Museum, who has which has a lot of uh, particularly uh, impressive exhibits on the Holocaust. So, so uh, all that is part of the program. When we were in Krakow, we met uh, with a Holocaust survivor, and as you know, uh, you know the, these these Holocaust survivors are are very old. Now. Yeah, they're, they're in their nineties, uh, and they won't be around forever. You won't be able to hear their stories mm. forever. So it's up to young people now to take up the mantle yeah. and tell those stories for them. And that's what this uh, charity, Learning from Auschwitz, is all about. It's a Gibraltarian-based charity. Yeah, you, so we can expect an interview with a Holocaust survivor then? That's right, yes. Uh, uh, there, there, uh, Mala Trebek, she was, she's 92, well, she's 93 now. Right. <laughs> it was her birthday a few weeks ago. Wow. But she was 92 when we went to, to mm. visit her in Krakow. And... Uh, that must have been such a humbling experience, no? It's incredible. I mean, she she relates every moment with ultimate clarity hmm. from from the from the time that she was locked up in the in the ghettos uh, to the time where, uh, sadly, uh, her mother and aunt and one mm-hmm. of her sisters were the victims of uh, the Holocaust of bullets, which is what when people were when Jewish people were dragged out of the ghettos and just taken out into the forest and shot. Uh, and then she tells us uh, all about uh, being in the camps. She was mm. in a concentration camp. She wasn't in a death camp. If she'd been in a death camp, she would have been killed. Mm. But she was in a concentration camp, uh, and she uh, contracted typhus, and she was barely conscious when the camps were liberated. She, she, she doesn't actually remember anything about that. Uh, so she's got a lot of experiences to tell, and she will tell us all about that uh, mm. uh, during the, the three episodes of, of this documentary. And it was an absolutely eye-opening experience to, to be able to talk to someone who actually went through yeah. this, this uh, very, very, very tragic period and dark time in, in humanity's history. Mm. And uh, how important is it? Because this is something which has been going on in terms of um, taking students to, to go and, and learning exactly about the, um, the hor- horrendous mm. ordeal, the, 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 the devastating details. This one in particular, the notorious death camp that you went to, Auschwitz-Birkenau. Um, it's, it's the first one 
post-pandemic, um, but it's been yes. happening long before that. Oh uh, yes. it's 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 one of those that it's a very obviously it's a very difficult trip for anyone who who goes there. But I think it's also something which we we all need to see firsthand to 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 one kind of remind us of something that we need to make sure never happens again. Well, we say that, but uh, sadly, I mean, one of the things that this documentary touches upon is the fact that uh, the lessons of the Holocaust have been uh, forgotten mm. by many uh, and also, to an extent, denied by many. Mm. Like that, that, I mean, the, the evidence is all there to see. Uh, the, the Auschwitz uh, Memorial Museum, which is what it is now, it's a museum, has uh, kept everything as well as they could. They've kept all the evidence. They've kept all, all the um, all the exhibits. Uh, they've got uh, several tons of human hair, which was shaved off the victims' heads. It's got all the luggage that the victims left behind when they were set to the gas chambers. It's got all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of shoes, Adult shoes, baby's shoes, children's shoes, all which were left behind. Uh, there are uh, prosthetic limbs from which were left behind by the victims when they were gassed. There are spectacles, eyeglasses, so many, many, many little details that shows you that these were people and these were part of humanity and they were snuffed mm. out. Um, I, I think he went with a group of 38 students on this Something occasion. Like, yes, I can't remember if it was 36 or 38. Yeah. But they're, they're, all in the, they're all 17. What Learning from Auschwitz does is it brings in uh, young people. It, they have to apply, uh, and, and the, only uh, a few of them get selected. Uh, and every year they take them to Auschwitz. Uh, they have to raise money, uh, a little bit of money, just a token amount, but the, the, most of the trip is, is funded by the charity. Uh, and uh, they... Uh, uh, every year they, t they they take students from all different backgrounds, you know, from all different religions, from all different ethnicities and backgrounds, and and they all kind of, they go together in, in a big group, and uh, they get uh, escorted by guides, they get uh, uh, very detailed explanations by, by people who work there, and they get to meet the survivor, and it's uh, the chariot learning from Auschwitz has been doing this for years, but of course, as you say, it's the first time since the pandemic that they've yeah. been able to do so. And from speaking to, to some of those students, who I'm sure will probably make an appearance within the three part documentary as like well. Like I said, the, the, uh, the show, the, the, the program is seen through their eyes. They yeah. keep, uh, they've been keep, or some of them have been keeping video diaries for me. And they sent me those video diaries every night mm. uh, telling me uh, what they had learned, what they had seen, what they what their perspective was. And that's why the whole program is told through their eyes. And, and the documentary is, is, is basically, I mean, the, the story is told by them. And that begins tonight at nine on GBC TV, and it's going to be every Thursday. Well, every sorry, every every, every Tuesday, Tuesday at nine for the next for the next three weeks. That's right. Uh, and um, there will be an omnibus at some point, yeah. but we haven't scheduled it. And also, something for, I know you from your perspective, you wanted to uh, to keep was the the, the black and whites. No, it was... yes, I, I mean there are moments where uh, where color dips in, but uh, I wanted to keep it in black and white because a lot of the uh, footage from the days of the Holocaust and all the photos from the Auschwitz album uh, are in black and white. So uh, I wanted to, it's an artistic decision, to, to try and um, bridge the then and the now because a lot of this happens within living memory for some people. A lot of Holocaust survivors are still there uh, and 
the memory of the Holocaust is kept alive so that nothing like this ever happens again. So I wanted to bridge the time yeah. gap between them and now and hmm. the best way that I thought that I would be able to do that is to have most of the documentary in black and white so that the then and now aren't dissimilar. Now a very warm welcome to uh, Nathan Conroy and Michael Prescott. Now you are both the writers of what, on the face of it, it's, it, it sounds like a a play which is going to be a lot of fun. It's uh, a Janita comedy. It's called The Ghost of Hintz's Hall. will be taking place at Hintz's Hall later this week on Thursday and Friday evening at 7 o'clock. Now, tell us what it's all about. It is a lot of fun, for sure. Um, it's about two investigators, which are Mr. Michael Prescott and myself, who have been hired by uh, Cultural Service to go down to the Hintz's Hall since there's been lots of uh, incidents. Uh, and in order to continue to be able to book the theatre, they need to resolve the issue. And that's where we come in. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do at the Insta-Soul to make sure that there's no more ghost spirits in there. And, uh, yeah, all in all, it's a, it's a variety show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. We have a lots of, um, of guests coming in, lots of celebrity guests uh, in the show. There's uh, it's a bit of everything. There's a lot of uh, funny videos as well. There's actually <laughs> dance, there's live music. It's a bit of everything. Yeah, that's right. We got a fantastic cast. Some mm, people yeah. who have acted before, and and some which are never been on stage. <laughs> but it's a big uh, selection of uh, actors, and it's going to be like Nathan said, very interesting. And the parts will, you know, that will be of dancing, singing. Uh, yeah. I myself have. I uh, think I'm going to do five acts and more or less it's going to do about seven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for the public, which I think uh, people need at this moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What things are going on Absolutely. in the world. Uh, we need to laugh more. Yeah, that's right. Definitely. And it looks like this play is going to bring some laughs. You mentioned there a, a great cast. I think it's fair to say an, an all-star Janito cast. I mean, I was looking at some of the names, uh, Henry Sacramento, Stephen Susi, Nathan Bias. In fact, I saw the trailer where Nathan Bias um, has right, a, yeah. a, a devilish laugh, doesn't he? I he think it's fair to say. The tenor. Yeah, yeah, with his deep voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to give away no. many things, you know. I That's hope people will go and yes. see them by yeah. themselves. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of... Uh, uh, I mean, quality, Janito, people there uh, taking part. So it's going to be a really, really, really um, spooky, funny, yeah. you know, it's, it's entertaining. It's a PG. Um, so a lot of That's people right. have been asking me uh, if kids can come in. I think it's fine for children. I yeah. mean, uh, from 10 plus, I would say, of the age of 10. Okay. I mean, it's just that there are a few things that can be a bit scary um, for the young and the not so young. That's right. Uh, <laughs> But it is a comedy, of course. There's, you know, it is a family show. But there are, I would say, just one part that can be a bit spooky for like maybe a two, three, four-year-old. You know, that's that's it. But it is a, it's a family show. Um, it sounds like it's going to be quite uh, interactive as well with the audience. Is that something that anyone who's going can look forward to? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's always very, very important to have the audience uh, to participate. Um, from my experience in performance, it's something that I enjoy tremendously. And with Michael, it was just a, a, a no-brainer. It was immediately that we uh, were discussing the show. We wanted to bring the audience uh, involved, especially the fact that it's people coming to a, 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 an auditorium, a theatre, where it's supposed to be haunted. So we want to, yeah, we're obviously going to use them. But we, again, like Michael was saying, we don't want to give too much away. 
But if you're coming, yeah, uh, you can sit back, relax and watch the show, but you can also take part in some some ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is that um, Nathan, myself, we have been uh, doing comedy mm. sketch, you know, Janito, small comedy sketches and dance uh, since 1980s. No, because he was a dancer and also I myself was a dancer. And we got together and we performed for some <coughs> variety shows. And then Nathan went to study dance and he came back. When he came back, uh, we joined forces again and we've been doing some uh, small sketches again. Yeah. And during COVID, uh, you can explain better, Nathan, yeah. when... Well, we I mean, this is not what we do all the time. Like Michael was saying, we have our own projects. I mean, I you know, I run my centre out in movement. I, I do work a lot in contemporary which is my main thing. But like I said, we need to laugh. And it's something I really enjoy. Like Michael was saying, we started doing comedies in the 80s. But we got together um, mainly because of COVID. And we decided to do a video that went down really well. And we ended up doing 12 videos. That's right. After that, we did have a lot of people stopping us in the street and asking us if we were doing something, which we didn't plan to. But we did do a sketch on Halloween during the COVID, and we always thought that that could be a uh, an incredible um, idea to develop into a production. That's right. And yeah, we were having coffee one day, and someone stopped us <laughs> and kept on going on about when is our production. And yeah, we decided from then on to um, to yeah to start writing, and and that's what we're doing. Um, emphasis on Janito comedy. So so I imagine there's there's going to be a lot of um, kind of jokes perhaps which are uh, uh, a, a person who born and bred in Gibraltar a uh, Janito uh, uh, will, will certainly recognize yeah. very well some some stereotypical things in there that kind of stuff perhaps absolutely absolutely and um, also the language is important yes. because we speak Janito and we had this discussion in the beginning of writing the show uh, we tried to put much more English in it um, but we felt that it didn't quite work, didn't balance. So it's there's, there's a lot of English, Spanish, mm. Janito, lots of Janito stuff that we all know that we're not going to give away. But the show ultimately is a visual show. So even if you're French and don't speak Spanish or English, you will still be able to follow. And that that's the important for us. For us, it was very important to maintain the Janito vibe and the Janito language. Language, yes, right. Which yeah. right now we do understand a lot of the young people don't speak mm. a lot, uh, but we decided to speak to stand firm and uh, and to keep it. I mean, I think that's great because there's been a lot of emphasis. I think in this year especially, the, uh, the the momentum is starting to grow in 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 people like saying, you know what, we need to we need to save yeah. our culture. We need to Absolutely. save our language. Um, I know that the cultural services have done great things. They they introduced a a Janita yeah. short story. I Absolutely. mean, little things like that. So I, I think um, that in the grand scheme of things, this will be a, a hugely popular. Um, the yeah. thing that you've implemented within your own play, making it more Janito. No? Absolutely, yeah, it's very important to us uh, to, to maintain that. Uh, like I said, it, we try to change the beginning to make it a bit more inclusive, but it just didn't work because it's, the, it's a Janito style or it's not, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, just trying to put a lot of English words so people understand it didn't work. Um, you're right, what you're saying. The only concern is that the younger generation perhaps don't speak Spanish, but hopefully um, th the fact that we've got shows like this, they can see that and they can hopefully 
learn from it yeah. and be able to to say, you know, we need to speak a bit of Spanish so that we understand. But like I said, for us, it's important that any person that goes in can understand the show. So whether you are German or French or whatever, you will still un understand. Yeah, yeah. You might not get the little yeah, jokes yeah, that yeah. most people tell would, hmm. but it's a visual uh, rich show. So it's, 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 there's things for everybody there. Brilliant. And you must have had a, a lot of fun rehearsing, no? And putting it all together. Bueno, sí. Uh, <laughs> bueno, sí. <laughs> La verdad. Bueno. Uh, the thing is that rehearsals, well, we got summer. To rehearse. Yeah. People were going uh, on vacation. You know? uh, I mean, uh, one come, the other goes, yeah. Yeah, myself, himself. So to book, so I, I think we are about nearly 15 to 20 in the cast and yeah. to put everything, everybody together at the same yeah. time, it's been very difficult. And that's why the rehearsal. But I think we have managed uh, to to do a yeah. uh, i think it's going to be a great a great yeah, was, uh, I, I was just feel it's meant to be because yeah. like michael was saying it's not been plain sailing we've had the summer we've had people no. leaving uh, no. back and forth but obviously we've been very nervous because of the elections and yes. uh, we had this booked and we didn't know we, <laughs> we knew it was going to be the week or <laughs> True, the, yeah. or the yeah. week before yeah. so we were a bit nervous to advertise yep. and so on and uh, the elections were last week uh, some people are happy some people are very uh, stress and depressed. So <laughs> hopefully, either way, you can come and celebrate with us. Yeah. And if you're down, you can, you know, chin up and be happy. And if you are very happy, well, you can go and be happier. Yeah. Or, or, no tomatoes, <laughs> please, on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all about um, a, a bit of laughter, which is much needed Absolutely, now with yeah. uh, some great Janita jokes. So, uh, yeah. Nathan and Michael, thank you very much for, for, for joining us uh, this afternoon. If anyone w does want to go and, and, and see that, how can they go about getting tickets? Uh, um, by .gi. Um I would advise you to go quickly and try and get your purchase your tickets because uh, we're nearly sold out. They are selling fast. Um, there might be, but there might be some tickets on the door. But the tickets that would be sold on the door uh, will be the the ones at the very back that we've reserved. We understand that some people are not very savvy with internet mm. and all that, especially the older generation. So we have reserved a few tickets, only a few. But if of you want to get tickets, go to uh, buytickets.gi as soon as you can because they are really selling fast. Welcome now to Benji Borastero, who joins us uh, fresh off the back of what was a very successful first ever Gibraltar Parasports Association AGM last night. Uh, tell us a bit about how that went, Benji. Hey, Stefan. Um, yeah, it went much better than I was expecting. I mean, for those of you that may not know, we started the Gibraltar Parasports Association back in 2018, 2019 as I was coming back from university, then COVID hit, and, you know, it's taken us mm. several years to get everything off the ground. But yesterday we held our first publicly open AGM, and it couldn't have gone better. We had a lot more interest than I was expecting. And it, it wasn't just, you know, people showing up to fill seats. People were genuinely interested and heartfelt and passionate. Mm. And I'm just so proud of what we have already. That's great. And what, what, what kind of things were discussed? Um, honestly, we're looking into how we can better, well, one, how we can better find out the makeup of disabilities within Gibraltar, because I know we did the census last year, but that information is still not fully released yet. So we're trying to work out what can we learn about people with disabilities in Gibraltar, and then that can then give us a focus of what we can then provide for them. Right. Um, and we're also looking into just how to brand ourselves better. I mean, like I said... It's existed since 2018, 2019, but 
with COVID and, and everything else going on, it's been very difficult to put ourselves in the public eye. Mm. So that's our next big step is how can we put ourselves out there and show people that we exist, show people what we can do and just get more people involved. Mm. And I know you're extremely active. I think it was only, what was it, a, a few months ago we were discussing the, the wheelchair rugby that, that you set up at Europa, Europa yeah, Point. Yeah, that, that was um, early in the summer working with the Gibraltar Rugby Football Union. So th- this is the sort of stuff we want to do more of. We want to reach out to more associations, see if we can do more events. You know, even if we could do something small like just have a kickabout or something in whatever sport we can come up with. So that's what we're looking into. And how are the facilities for that at the moment? So, for example, when you did do the the, the wheelchair rugby event, um, there, there was that the, the the huge hall that have got the Europa Points Sports Complex. That was that was, I imagine, a great facility. But obviously, if we start to to maybe think about bringing allocations like this in a more regular basis, obviously you have got the gymnastics there, a badminton there, the futsal, which is there sometimes as well. So, is that something that you 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 want to try and incorporate from from that perspective? Firstly, as as you quite rightly mentioned before, um, get an idea of how many people would be interested and then maybe look at the next step from there and sorting out allocations and and maybe having a a weekly splot where you can yeah this this is going to be it like in terms of the usability and accessibility of facilities they're pretty much everything we could ask for you know as with everything you could always say oh yeah but what about a little bit more but i'm never going to complain about what we have in gym in terms of facilities but i think like most um associations in gibraltar the number of sports that we have, the number of people that we have that are interested in sports, trying to find that allocation time will be its own challenge, but it's not a challenge that we'll face alone. Every other association's doing it. Yeah. So we'll be more than happy to be working with yeah. associations to figure out, you know, could we do something like engage in one of their mm. one of their events and host something alongside them? Or, you know, could we end up chopping and changing things? Like, you know, with the... The sky's the yeah, limit, I mean, really, I, when you're working with everyone. So I suppose you can work in, in collaboration. For example, with the, with the rugby association, you could have um, the wheelchair rugby as as an extension to that, or the, the same with the, with the tennis wheelchair tennis. Which um, I think, well, I, I'm I'm a big tennis fan. So um, I, when the Wimbledon comes along, I do actually sit down and watch some of the wheelchair tennis. Alfie Hewitt, who's an absolute uh, oh, yeah, legend absolute of the piece, game of yeah. wheelchair tennis, and it really is. Um, really entertaining uh, as well because you're 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 somewhat um, in awe at how they can wheelchair themselves along and then manage to hit some of these incredible shots at the same time. Well, this is one of the things that I love most about para sports is that you're not you know it's not just like an, an athlete's always going to be impressive. You know, watching people beyond a certain level of sports is always going to be impressive regardless of what they're doing. But when you take into account the additional things that people in parasports are having to deal with, you know, things like in blind football, for example, being able to both communicate with your team audibly whilst also then yeah. hearing where the football is, you know, those sorts of skills and, and the additional little tidbits of specialization. That's what I absolutely love about parasports. Yeah, yeah. We were actually speaking on the, on the breakfast show a, a couple of weeks back. A, a morning hero was Jack Fisher. I don't know if you know Jack. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Visually I, impaired yeah. tennis. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing great stuff. He's been playing in the, in the blind games in the UK, doing really well. He played um, an ex- exhibition event in, in the Wimbledon courts earlier this year as well. Um, so so you, can, you can see that there's... 
there's more paras for example if 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 you're talking about tennis that's already two different examples of para sport tennis the visually impaired and the wheelchair tennis those there's there's different examples within the same sport yeah this is it like you there's just so much more out there than people realize you know i mean obviously you have all the things that are recognized as paralympic sports that you're going to be seeing in um i can't remember where it was this in 2024 um, yeah, what are you going to be seeing in 2024? The, what, the, the Olympics? Yeah. Um, so is that Paris? No, I don't know. All, all of the sports that you're going to be seeing in 2024. Yeah. But there's so much more outside of that that just start to branch off. Like, yeah. you've got uh, wheelchair rugby that you'd see in Paralympics, mm-hmm. you know, murder ball, for those of you who know that term. Because um, <laughs> I mean, just to clarify, why I have never heard the term murder ball before, but I've seen wheelchair rugby at the Paralympics, and I can I can I can understand why because it's just absolute oh, yeah. mayhem, isn't full, it? Full contact <laughs> in wheelchairs that are designed to take, yeah. I mean, hits of upwards of like ten, fifteen kilometers an hour at some point. Like th- those guys can build speed, but that's a Paralympic sport in and of its own. But then there's wheelchair rugby league, which is a five on five tag based sport that you won't be seeing in 2024 because it's not Paralympic mm. recognised. But it's still something that's extremely popular, especially in England. And that one specifically is what we were working on with the Rugby Football Union because the rules of that sport are that you have to have you have to have two able-bodied people on court right. alongside three disabled people. So it's all about that inclusivity, bringing people together. And you, you start getting that with all sorts of sports, yeah. you know. You have systems in place at different levels to try and bring not only people with more severe disabilities on par with those who might be less impaired but then also bring able-bodied people in so that yeah. there is no such thing as disabled or not you're yeah. all playing the same sport yeah. you're all in the same equipment yeah. you know it's all the same ball game i mean in an international scale you mentioned the paralympics there do you think there's enough um role models and i, and I say that because i mean i don't know the ins and outs of every single paralympic sport like i say i do like to watch wheelchair tennis when the paralympics are about after the olympics and you still have that olympic buzz so i i'm, I'm actually really uh, interested and, and, and do watch quite a lot of the paralympics as well and, and i i know for example the the, the name that springs to mind tanny Ray Thompson, who won 16 medals, I think 11 of them gold, at the Paralympics. She was um, a, a British darling, the nation's darling for many, many years. Oh, no? Similarly uh, to Hannah Cockcroft, uh, she's got world records in, I yeah. think, 100, 200, 400, 850, like every discipline of racing, she's got it. So is it, would you say, is she the kind of the, the role model to, nowadays in terms of in British terms Paralympics? In terms of wheelchair racing, yeah, yeah, definitely. But like you say, there, there's so many different sports and at least from looking at the GB side of things, there's so many great athletes mm. from Britain, you know. I, I could name the entire basketball team yeah, if you asked me to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've trained alongside some of the athletics, professionals. Really? It's, there's a lot of people there, a lot of big names. Just give us a, You say you train alongside some of the, the, the athletics professionals. Well, give it, us a, in, in the past. In the past, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, about, but just just from that, however many occasions it might have been, um, how much work goes into making them... Um, as good as they are in 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 their field, C- considering, of course, um, they're having to deal with um, with 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 w- whatever. With life, dis- yeah, yeah, with, with life. Else, yeah. And, well, uh, I mean, a, a great example of that is a uh, Carrier Denigan. She's effectively second place to Hannah Cockcroft currently in GB in terms of wheelchair racing. Uh, but at the time when I was training alongside her, she was, I believe, sixteen. So she was training nearly daily, studying for her GCSEs 
going to international competitions and preparing herself at the time to get ready for Tokyo. So, like, just the amount of effort yeah. and work that these people put in, it, it is astounding to watch it. Yeah, it's really inspirational. Um, Benji, it's been it's been great to, to, to have you on today. But before we do let you let you get on with your day, I want to, you, your, if you had to pick one para sports that you i don't know either you have more fun playing or you're you're best at what what para sport would it be oh, i hate questions like this it's like trying to choose your favorite child <laughs> um if it was really pushed to do it, i'd probably say basketball it was the first sport that i got involved yeah. in it's a team sport which i love and like i said i i could name the gb basketball yeah. team i knew a lot of people involved in that setting so it's something that i still have a lot of contact with we're joined by Dwayne Trinidad from the Fire and Rescue Service. Good afternoon, Wet Dwayne. Uh, 5th of November, it's always a busy one, I think it's fair to say, for for, for, for a bonfire night. Remember, remember, remember the 5th of November, of course. Um, now, tell us a little bit about bonfire licences, because if anyone does have that in mind, that they want to organise a bonfire for their friends, family, whatever, um, what do they need to do beforehand? Yeah, that's right. So um, anyone that wants to organise a bonfire, um, and normally we don't find this individuals organising a bonfire because we have a lack of outside space, gardens or, or uh, patios and that kind of thing in Gibraltar for the obvious reason. Uh, so what we do tend to find is uh, organisations like the Cubs or the Scouts, the, the Sea Scouts, the Youth Clubs. The, these are the organisations that, yeah. that are going to work towards uh, having a bonfire. Um, they need to make sure they apply for a licence. Um, the the, li- the licence comes in two parts. So first of all, uh, they need to approach the environmental agency. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, the, the, the environmental agency needs to make sure that the, the substance, the, the fuel that's been burnt, isn't something that's going to be harmful, not just to the people in the vicinity, but to the atmosphere, to the environment. Um, so, if they, you know, if anyone's planning on burning some, uh, some you know, old furniture that contains a lot of adhesives and, and paint and that kind of thing, then the agency will look at that and they'll say, look, you know, you can't do this, or, or yes, you can. Um, so that's one part of the licence. Uh, and then once the, the agency's given permission for that, then we need to be provided with a copy of that letter by the applicant. Uh, and then we'll visit the premises and then we, we'll, we'll give them our own requirements. So we might say, you know, look, you can't have it here, but you can have it you know, a couple of metres further that way because that's a bit of a hazard to your neighbour or, yeah. or to, you know, there's yeah. bushes in the area, there's vegetation, mm. so you need to move it. Uh, we might say, look, you need an extinguisher media, you might need a, a water extinguisher or you might need, if you have a garden hose of some sort, then have that available or a bucket of sand. Right. Um, so, you know, the environmental agency is making sure that the environment is safe uh, and we're making sure that the people are safe generally. Is it always, a, can you expect a, a very busy time? I think this year it falls on a Sunday, 5th of November. Is it something, because I'll, I'll be honest, the, the last time I was involved in any kind of bonfire, Guy Fawkes and that kind of, I was very young. And I, 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 I wonder if that's still as popular as it used to be maybe 20, 25 years ago? Or is it just because I've gotten older now I don't, I don't do these bonfires anymore? <laughs> no, it... I, I think you're right. It's not, it's not quite as popular. It doesn't yeah. seem to be anyway. Last year, for example, uh, we only had three applicants or there was only three bonfires that, that we're aware of um, that, that came through the system. Uh, and that was uh, Sea Scouts, Scouts and the Red right. Rowing Club. Um, so it's not many really if you think about hmm. it. Um, but that being said, Halloween never used to be popular, and yeah, that's true. just really picked up, hasn't it? Halloween, everyone's celebrating Halloween now. Yeah. There's parties and you know, there's fancy dress, and there's all sorts. So I wouldn't be surprised if the youth clubs and all the other organisations start taking, you know, uh, guy folks yeah. uh, on board and hmm. celebrating it with their members. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, fifth of November. That's a, that's a time, and, and thank you very much for explaining with the, the bonfire licenses and that kind of thing. Um, I, I know you wanted to touch upon as well. There are spaces. There's a fire and rescue course coming up soon. With some spaces on that. Yeah. So we um, at the at the um, fire service, we run a basic fire safety course, and we, we started. We, we run them in in, uh, in batches. So we run a batch from March to June, and then we run a batch from September to November, December. Uh, I'd like to do, uh, to let the public know that there's three courses coming up, and that's on the on the sixth sixth the 13th and the 20th of November, where there are still spaces available. So if anyone okay. wants to come on a fire safety course, uh, and that can be anyone, that can be uh, mm. just uh, an individual coming, or it can be an employer sending employees, um, it, it can be anyone coming on this course, uh, they can contact us on 72936, or they can send us an email, uh, firesafety at jibfire.gi, uh, and they can ask for more information and, and ask to be placed on one of these courses. Mm. The, the cost is £35 per head, uh, and we cover a variety of subjects. So we cover what a fire is and how it's caused, because if we know yeah. what it's co- how it's caused, yeah. then we can work backwards to, to extinguish it. Yeah. Um, we cover the, the spread of fire and, and smoke, because you've probably heard that smoke is what kills most people in, yes. in a fire. In it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very large amount. Any idea how much, how many people die as a, as a result of smoke? Well, uh, on, a, on a yearly basis? On, on, uh, if you take a, a fire, yeah, on a yearly basis, what's the percentage that die as a result of smoke as opposed to the fire? Have, have a guess. Uh, I would throw out maybe 82%. Oh, there we go. Good, yeah, 80%. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the figure that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so it's really important that we, that we stop the spread of smoke. Uh, so mm. this is one of the things that we cover on that course. Uh, we cover the detectors, the use of detectors, where you can place them. Uh, we cover fire drills, we cover a, a whole lot of things in, in theory using PowerPoint uh, and then we move outdoors and then we have a practical session where we use a fire extinguisher and a fire blanket and we simulate a bin on fire with a fire extinguisher. Okay. And a chip panel fire with a fire blanket. So it's, right. it's a good all yeah, round. No, it's about three hours long. It certainly sounds it, Dwayne. Thank you very much for for joining us this afternoon. And uh, yeah, hope it doesn't get too busy on the on the fifth of November. And, and <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from one to two, getting behind the headlines, and you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.